0: This is Got Marketing, a podcast with ideas, strategies and tactics to help small businesses create smarter marketing. I'm Mia Fileman, a professional marketer and the founder of Campaign Del Mar. And in this show, I chat with creatives and strategists about the different aspects of marketing, but without the fluff. Let's dive in. Hello friends, and welcome back to the Got Marketing podcast. Entrepreneurs are obsessed with scaling thanks to the online marketing gurus assuring us we can scale our businesses to six and seven figures in our sleep. But what the heck does it mean to scale your business and is it really as easy as suggested? To have this conversation out, I phoned a friend who has grown her marketing technology company to seven figures. Jess Rufus is the founder and CEO of Collabosaurus, the matchmaker for brands. She's also a podcast host. An in demand speaker and a recent BNT 30 under 30 winner. Welcome, matey.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. How exciting with your podcast!
0: I know it's finally happening after a very long time in the incubation <laughs> chamber.
1: I'm just stoked we could bring the car park conversations to everybody's earbuds.
0: <laughs> Correct. So yes, that's a That's an important point. Jess and I have had a same, same, but different conversation on Instagram live. And at the time there was some jackhammering happening at Jess's oh, office. So we affectionately called it the car park combo. Mm.
1: I sat in the car park with a cardboard box and my computer atop the cardboard box. For
0: the See, car that's box. love. That's when I know that your love for me and campaign Delma, I just, it, it, it. Yeah, that was... It runs that. deep. It, it run, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Um, what the heck is scaling? <laughs> How is it different to growth?
1: Yeah, good question. I think scale, you're so right in that entrepreneurs are obsessed with scaling. It's in every conversation I have with every investor, every startup founder. everyone's talking about scale, scale, scale. Um, and super interesting to actually look at the definitions Um actually like yeah seeing them side by side and that scale is that really the fast growth without an increase in like resourcing or funding and um it's actually incredibly hard to achieve and not every business is kind of structured in a way that is suitable for that kind of growth um whereas you know growth is that slow and steady wins the wins the race inch by inch growing but then as the growth happens, so does your need for resources and investment into the business. That's my. So it's like, a unicorn. It's a well, g- exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so, spoiler alert: not going to happen in your sleep. No, no,
1: it's it, and it's so much work. It's one of those things. It's like I think people think you press a button or you launch a course, and it's like, oh, you know, you make sales in your sleep. And yeah, sure. I mean, Calabasaurus, subscriptions come through while I sleep and sometimes I wake up and subscriptions have come through but does that mean it's not hard work like absolutely not it means I hardly sleep (laughs) it's probably the best definition
0: correct all right so I would love to hear the Calabasaurus story I never get tired of it so take us back to uh you know, the, the beginning of the business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the car park convo is back. Um, yeah, take us back to the beginning um, and just sort of walk us through the last six years of Calabasaurus yeah. and where we are now.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So I started out, I actually, I went to uni wanting to work in film. Lied my way onto the set of The Great Gatsby, worked on some music videos. It was super fun. And I remember being told, oh, you know, you'll have to, if you want to make it in the film industry, you're going to have to move to the US. And it's like a lot of like low pay for a long time before you can get that covered job because there's just not many in Australia. And I remember thinking at the time, like, no, like I want to, you know, earn a decent wage and go into something that where I don't have to move to LA or whatever. Found PR and ended up graduating in public relations with this really excited, wide-eyed, rose-coloured glasses as to what PR would be like and started at a boutique, fashion and lifestyle PR firm in Sydney. And I was a total fish out of water. I felt like my experience was like devil wears Prada in real life. It was so intense, such long days with very little pay an intense toxic you know kind of work environment and but as part of that role we were pulling together media launch events for fashion clients and trying to find venue partners and goodie bag inclusions and food and beverage partners and a beauty brand to come in and create an experience for media and influencers who are coming along and so I kind of I remember thinking back then you know, there must be so many small businesses who would love to get in front of this kind of opportunity with media. But what typically would happen is that publicists would ask their other publicist friends as to like who had clients. So effectively, if you didn't have PR representation, you were missing out on that opportunity and PR representation is expensive. And so I kind of moved on from that role into a small business marketing education company where we would take Ran through like a 12-month course as to how to DIY your own marketing and partnerships were really part of that and I was working more with small businesses in this role and realised that so many of them weren't doing partnerships or collaborations because they'd been burnt before, they'd been taken advantage of, they didn't really know where to start or they were sending pitch emails out that were terrible and <laughs> not getting any responses back. Um, and then right around that time a guy in the office was on Tinder and i was like this is great like you can swipe right swipe left for dates like that's awesome and at the same time i was trying to find collaborators for an event that was just an incredibly time consuming process and i thought why doesn't this exist for brand collaboration so um, i started a in uh, it launched in 2015 but i started it in 2014 um and it's a matchmaking platform for brands and we now work with over eight and a half thousand businesses like Seafolly and Marks and Spencer and Dermalogica and Marley Spoon and we essentially matchmake brands together for really clever marketing collabs and partnerships. And it's been, I mean, we don't have enough time to go through the last six years. It's been a roller coaster ride, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, where do you want to start <laughs> with that? Uh,
0: that is such a great story. I, I really don't get tired of hearing it. And from the outside, it is just so inspirational to me. I'm just like, Aww. yeah, I want to, you know, get to the stage of colabosaurus one day. And, you know, it just goes to show how rosy things can look from the outside. But having um, worked with you now for a couple of years, I've um, come to understand that it hasn't always been easy. So I would love oh, to hear no. some of the, I guess, bigger challenges um, that you've encountered um, just to make other entrepreneurs feel, I guess, validated that their challenges are so normal, but also to provide a bit of a, you know, um, you know, watch out and um, try to avoid these potholes kind of um, message to them.
1: Mm, Totally. Well, um, my biggest challenge is probably um, like looking back one of the biggest periods in Collabasaurus where I totally hit burnout at the end of it was attempting to raise capital back in 2017, 2018. I spent about 18 months or yeah on and off but probably solidly for about eight months really trying so hard to raise um, investment capital for Collabasaurus because I thought that's what you're supposed to do and it was what everybody else in the you know tech sector was doing in Australia and you open up You know, tech crunch or whatever, and it's, you know, so and so has raised 60 billion and (laughs) Afterpage is sold for 39 billion the other day. So you read these stories and you go, oh, like everybody's doing it, must be easy. And so, and I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And the only way a tech company like Collabasaurus could really grow, um, which I have a lot to say on anyway. But at the time, in the very early stages of Calabasaurus, um, looking back, it probably wasn't the right thing to do. But I spent about eight months hustling so hard. I went to San Francisco for a couple of months, speaking to anybody and everybody who may be interested in investing in Collabasaurus. And it was just, it was so exhausting. The business was pretty much much just me full-time at the time and so me leaving the business to go spend so much time talking to potential investors and editing decks and speaking to lawyers and the whole thing um, was detrimental for the business and at the end of 2018 I remember coming home from San Francisco it was Christmas and it was like we had like two grand in the bank account like I was just like this is so bad and it's like run into the ground. And is it, you know, maybe I just give up now? Is that the end of Calabasaurus because I can't raise capital? And nobody it seemed as though, you know, nobody I spoke to believed in the company and believed in my vision. And so then I was like, am I crazy? Like is this mm. vision act maybe I'm insane and this actually isn't a good idea because everybody's told me it's not a good idea. And so it was kind of back to the drawing board. I spent a couple of months mulling it over. And, you know, having a crisis of (laughs) of everything and then realizing, you know what, there was an idea that came out of San Francisco when I spoke to, I happened to be at a networking event and the head of marketing at Gap was there. She made, she mentioned something about brand collaborations, which they they receive about 150 collaboration pictures every single month. And at the time I just said, oh yes, we can help with that. And the tech wasn't set up to help with that kind of thing at the time, but it gave me such a great idea light bulb moment for a feature which is now called the pitch portal um, that we launched in 2019 off the back of maxing out a credit card and giving Calabasaurus one last shot and then ASOS signed up off the back of that and Olay signed up off the back of that and it just spiraled and kick-started a big growth period for Calabasaurus then. Wow so good. (laughs) That's one of the challenges anyway doing what doing what you think you should be doing just because everybody else is doing it. That's like a, I look back now and I go, that's such a no, no.
0: Absolutely. And what about some of the terrible advice that you received around that time? Because I know we've spoken before and there were some real cowboys just shooting their mouths off. So let's oh, yeah. hear some of that.
1: <laughs> um, it's funny with investment raising, I think, because I was, I was young. I was like 23, 24 and um I was just speaking to everyone and anyone. And that was a bad strategy, you know, looking back because I was speaking to people who didn't know my target market, didn't know the pain point, didn't know marketing, often didn't even know like tech at all. And, you know, maybe they've come from a banking background or insurance and I'm trying to tell them, you know, how cool collaboration marketing campaigns can be. And they just, they don't see it because they've never felt that problem before mm. so I think you know a lot of the advice came from good intentions but I would take it with without with like not having a grain of salt <laughs> It was like mm-hmm. I took it as gospel and I was like oh yeah maybe I should you know target the insurance sector because this one person has said oh you should do this for insurance or something and I'd spend months going down that road because I'm like well if I make this work then he'll invest and that was just so stupid um, and I had, I had another investor say to me, oh, if you want to raise capital, you know, you need to sell the fact that you're female and under 30, because that's your only selling point. <gasps>
0: so, that's said, just what? one of the gems.
1: That's just one of the gems. I was like, well, if that's my only selling point, you know, what do you, what am I supposed to do? Wear like a low cut dress and walk into these meetings that is so horrifically mm-hmm. embarrassing. So Yeah, I took a lot of advice as gospel when I should have put it through that filter of where is this advice coming from, you know, and do they actually have the experience and insight (laughs) that can inform this kind of advice? Um, And and then a lot of it was like, oh, sorry, what were you going to say?
0: Didn't quite a few of them ask you when you were going to have children? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was another one.
1: It was like, oh, when are you expecting on having children because with female entrepreneurs you never know how much time you've got. I'm like, time you've got until what? Like I explode? Like what's the the question here? It was so bizarre and it was draining and exhausting and just like deflating. At the end of it I was so deflated and confused with – what I wanted to do with the business and if my vision was even worthwhile and and all the while the emphasis in all of these conversations is scale. It's scale, 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 scale at all costs, you know, and so I, I took that to be gospel as well and scale at all costs and let's get to burnout with two grand in the bank account and very few um, like pathways to get myself out of that. So it was, yeah, it was full on. So bad advice would have been all of those things, but also just listening to the wrong people um, and thinking scale at all cost is some kind of success metric when I don't see
0: that as a success metric anymore. Mm. And that's such an interesting point that scaling, especially with your experience, is risky. You know, you almost lost Calabasaurus going through that cap-raise process and now Calabasaurus has never been stronger and you're completely bootstrapped. And we don't talk about that enough. That scaling is inherently risky. In fact, it's the number one reason for startup failure is premature scaling, um, mm. because it is—it's like literally, you know, um, walking to the cliff and being pushed before you're ready to jump. Um, because it's yeah, that amplification of everything, and you have a scalable model. You know, you in fact your product works at scale even better because it means that there are more brands to collaborate with and there are more industries on the platform and big players and small players and more geographical partnerships that can happen for in-person events. So that actually works really well. What about the rest of us where, you know, we don't even have that as a scalable model yet? Yeah. But are being told that we should scale at all costs. Oh, for
1: goodness sake. I mean, Growth is good and I think it's like, look, focusing on the right things at the right time for the right reason, you know, if you're focusing on scale too early in the game um, just so that you could get investment interest, which is exactly what I did, was totally the wrong way to approach it. You know, I should have been trying to scale the experience and, you know, nitpicking apart customer um, feedback and stuff like that at that, that early stage um and I think as well like you always think you have a scalable model and then you get to scale and you 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 realize that your operations need an overhaul and that happened in 2020 I mean I was like yep it's good to go we are scaling and it's it's working at scale and then it hit a point and I was like oh we have to seriously rejig internal processes because things were getting missed and Things needed to be automated and then sometimes the tech fails you, you know, um, as well. So it's not as rosy as I think this like linear line, that people, the, pe- the picture that people paint about that scale. Um, often operations need to be completely overhauled and you've got to get foundations right. But often you don't know what right looks like until you're in it and you have to, you know, build the plane on the way down off the cliff.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind
1: of been my experience.
0: So that's what I wanted to talk about next, which is, you know, what should businesses do when they're thinking about scaling? And you mentioned some of them, you know, getting the right business foundations, um, thinking about whether you need to pivot, for lack of a better word, so that you do have a scalable product, spending time on those operations, Um That customer research and customer insight phase, which is such an important part of the scaling process, because serving 20 customers is so different to serving 2,000 and 200,000 customers. Um, You know, when we're dealing with only two or 200 customers, we think that they represent the mass and they don't. That sample size is actually too small for it to be statistically significant for a much bigger audience, Um, and then recruiting, training and retaining the right team and exactly as you mentioned, the technology. Mm. Is there anything else that you think are sort of like, do these things first?
1: (laughs) Um, I would, something that's been really, really helpful for me is nailing down um, the three metrics that in basically... The entire basis of Collabasaurus is formed on and all of our marketing is informed by and it's customer acquisition cost is number one. So that's how much does it cost you to acquire a new customer? And that could be things from Facebook ads. It could be things like running events. It could be things like PR. If you look at all the ways or things that you do to try and attract customers, what does that add up to per customer, you know? On average and once you get a fair bit of data together it's really easy to see what your profit margin is and stuff on customer acquisition cost versus lifetime value which is my next metric that I track and that's how much a customer will spend with you in the course of a customer's lifetime Um, and then in addition to that there's churn rates which because I run a subscription tech company that's incredibly important but churn rates and lifetime value go pretty hand in hand you know one will inform the other but especially when you know lifetime value rates take a long time to build because you need a fair few years of data before it's anything meaningful so in the meantime looking at things like churn so how frequently um, and how many customers do you lose month on month for example and what what percentage of that of your customer base is that
0: Exactly. So if you don't have that data, then maybe focus on um, making sure that you get it and that you have the right systems in place in order to make the right decisions before just, you know, peering over the ledge and going, Oh, well, she's scaling and she's, you know, um, doing really well. So if it works for her, it's definitely going to work for me.
1: Yeah, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for others. But the the metrics thing is so important. I was looking at for a long time, vanity metrics, you know, how many followers do we have on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> and it was like, really, you've got to be looking at sales metrics. Um, Once you get a little bit further down the line, and they can seriously help you scale your business. Because once you're focused on them, it allows you to tweak your strategies to make any one particular number better. So if I'm like, okay, customer acquisition costs this quarter is far too high, what can we do to reduce that? Then we can actually really focus on our energy in reducing the customer acquisition cost and making us more money in the long run.
0: So good and so, so necessary. So talk to me about um, building your team for Collabasaurus because you've gone yeah. from a one-woman show to a, to a team. Um, how's that been for you? <laughs>
1: really hard. I'm not going to lie. Team building stuff has probably been my second biggest challenge with Calavasaurus. I think because you also assume that, oh, I'll just get another me and they can do all the things and double my output or double what, you know, I'm able to do. And that's not the case at all. You know, there's so much that needs to go into process creation and training and, like, team culture and everything as well, especially if you're small and growing. One hire has the ability to make or break your team, you know. So... Yeah. Hiring has been really tricky and I'm not going to say I've had a really smooth run. I've worked with some incredible people over the years um, and some, some hiring choices I have made probably haven't been the right ones. Uh, and when was it? Was it this year? <laughs> I can't remember what even year it was. I think it was earlier this year. There was a time where I lost three staff in three weeks and that was massive. But what that did was it kickstarted the operations overhaul and process overhaul that we needed to do anyway. But it was the kick up the bum because when three people left in three weeks, everything that was like customer management related fell back onto me. And Calabasaurus is far too big for any one person to manage that right now so I was like well a scalable model it needs to be able to manage that amount of customers without you know an account manager sitting there going through all of the accounts for example so it was you know there's a silver lining <laughs> to every cloud but my goodness it's it's been tricky and what I do now um, which has been really really helpful is we use psychometric testing on new hires and we also do things like um I mean, I've always done this, but this has always been really, really valuable, getting people to do tasks and things as part of the interview process, because then that shows you what the actual work is like. And I've often found people who are um, come across a bit like me, so extroverted and chatty and, you know, um, they're people I totally vibe with. But they often don't necessarily equal really high quality work. So um, I've had to sort of incorporate some really great testing as part of the interview process that it's been super helpful so psychometric testing and some skills testing as well and if you're ever hiring for software or tech people there's a platform called test dome so that you can put developers through based on your um, tech stack so for me I'm not a coder like I can't look at um, ASP.NET C-sharp code and go, that looks great. You know, <laughs> you're hired. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Nice <laughs> Collins. <laughs> and when it comes to customer success or marketing, like for sure, I've got different informed opinions about who would work and who wouldn't. But when it comes to code, it's so tricky. So I have my senior developer who runs a lot of the interview process, but we also use things like Test Dome for skills testing, which has been so, so good. So highly recommend stuff like that.
0: And I totally echo what you said about making potential employees um, submit some work or submit a task. This is actually just really relevant. I'm looking to build my team. And I got right down to the end of the interview process with a really hot candidate and just at that minute, I'm like, Mia, you know, you need to ask for work samples. So just do it. Even though I was so confident, it was all going to be great. Because, you know, they um, performed so well in the interviews and real, like, you know, great confidence. And I'm so glad that I asked for the work samples, because they weren't, they were good, but they weren't up to the salary expectation. And so I would have essentially been overpaying. And um, Mm. I don't want to overpay. Totally. Yeah, and that's, a, I think, another really interesting point around the whole guru's narrative that, well, if you are a service-based business, all you need to do is launch a course and um, then you don't need to hire staff. You're just um, teaching this course and it's just you and potentially a VA in the Philippines that you underpay, but, you know, that's not that's not an ethical problem or anything. And, um, <laughs> or is it? And... Um, you know, you don't. You it can just be you, but both of us, you and I, are both online course creators. And um, I work full time and have a permanent part time employee. And I'm now looking to bring on a second permanent part time employee, because spoiler alert, when you start to grow your online courses and you start getting some serious numbers through there, it's a lot of work, and mm. um, it's a it it takes a lot of energy to service, properly service um, those students and provide accountability and provide feedback. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be letting them down and then you're not going to get good reviews on your course and then no one else is going to join.
1: I think the grass is always greener, hey. I mean, over Christmas last year, we were in a lockdown on the northern beaches and I just started a product business because I have so much time. Why not? Let's do that for fun. Um, But the grass is always greener. I mean, running a tech company, I look at friends who run product companies and go, oh, my gosh, how fantastic. You just create the product, sell the product, and that's it, you know.
0: <laughs> what about the shipping? What about well, I the know. warehousing I know. and the
1: manufacturing? People, for sure, but I kind of feel like, oh, that's, you know, the warehouse's problem or the manufacturer's mm-hmm. problem. But people look at Calabasaurus and they think the same. Oh, wouldn't yes. it be great to just have a software subscription where, you know, you're making money in your sleep or whatever, or wouldn't it be great to run a course and it's just you and you don't have to stress about, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. It's The grass is always greener and there are huge, huge implications and challenges and issues that a lot of them are very similar i mean staffing is is a big one that is a shared experience for like every founder i speak to um it's very very hard to compete as well against the, the large corporates um and especially with you know salary expectations as well as you grow i had a a 22-year-old staff member with no experience asked me for a 90K salary the other day, and I just thought that was crazy. But you know what? She's gone and gotten a job. That, <laughs> I that, And I'm like, good, good for you. And I just, like, look back at my, like, toxic days working in PR going, wow, like at that level I was earning maybe 30K a year. But hey, look, I salute
0: the- changed big kahunas that she had That's, oh, that take chutz, chutzpah that for was, sure <laughs> there was
1: chutzpah there um yeah. but yeah like times have changed and I think small business owners it's really hard to compete really really hard mm-hmm. to compete so you've got to like find all these other things that you can do to attract and retain staff for sure
0: Yes, absolutely. All right, well, um, I want to do what is our favourite thing in the whole world to do, and that mm-hmm. is to talk about marketing campaigns because you have adopted a campaign marketing approach to growing mm-hmm. Um, Of course you have. You are a marketer, I'm a professional marketer. So um, before we jump into talking about some of our favourite collab collaboration campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to hear from you um, any marketing campaign tips because obviously my listeners hear from me all the time and they know all of my tips, but it would be so interesting to get yours as well.
1: Hmm. I've actually just been consulting with a brand that, um, has just like launched their business and a lot of things came up there that are just so front of mind. <laughs> so the first one would probably be allow yourself enough time to leverage all of the marketing and touch points within a campaign. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have with people going, oh, we're launching next week, you know, can let's do it. And it's like, whoa, whoa, like you've missed a huge opportunity with pre-launch teasing and hype building and just amplifying and leveraging a campaign so that you get the best possible results. A campaign isn't a post on Instagram. It isn't one email. A campaign is like, yeah, I mean, you'll define this so much better than me. <laughs> Series of connected events that's all driving towards one big goal, and in order to do that properly, you need time to do that. So I would recommend having. I mean, I'm not sure what your campaign recommendation is, but I would say at least six weeks
0: ish. Yeah, I now say twelve weeks actually. Um, so Campaign Classroom is now ten weeks, uh-huh. and um, but I think twelve weeks is that sweet spot because exactly like you said the launching next week, you have no options left. It's organic socials and potentially paid socials, but Mm. collaborations are out, PR is out, you know, um, influencer campaigns are out, creating a kick-ass video is out what's left, some EDMs Mm. and some posts, in which case that is more always on marketing um, rather than campaign marketing.
1: And there's so much you can do on a limited budget. I mean, you don't have to spend big with a PR agency or whatever. There actually is lots you can do for like an effective launch campaign on a budget, but with enough time allowed so that you can get heaps of touch, touch points working for you and you can invest the time to achieve the results. I mean, you're just not going to get crazy launch uptake um, in a week.
0: No way. I made a reel on Instagram about that. And it's like the scariest thing for me is when someone says, or they book a consult with me and, you know, I'm launching soon. I'd love your advice. I'm like, great. I love launches. Let's talk about it. And they're like, we launch in a week or two weeks. And I'm just like, I'm so sorry. There's just, we can't pull rabbits out of hats. And exactly as you said, If you don't have the budget, then you need to put in the work. So then it's like, okay, well, then we need to lean on earned and owned media channels, which don't cost the earth, but they take grit. And yeah. so we need to write email sequences and we need to shake trees, but all of that is time. So if you, but if you don't have time and you don't have money, then you're a wee bit screwed. <laughs>
1: exactly. And I mean, look at brand collaborations. They don't, 90% of the ones that happen on Collabasaurus don't involve cash exchange whatsoever, but they do require time. But You can tap into a whole audience of people for no additional cash, with a creative collaboration, but yeah, you've got to plan all this stuff out. The ads, the social, the EDMs, the collaboration partnerships, the PR, all that. You need, yeah, you need many, many weeks.
0: <laughs> exactly. Okay, so so factor in enough time to enough properly time. plan and execute your launch or your campaign. Yes, yeah. definitely.
1: Okay, tip number two would probably be collaborate. Um, mm-hmm. It would be miss <laughs> I completely didn't mention that um, brand collaborations are probably one of the most effective ways to cost effectively reach a whole new audience of people in a creative and authentic way and it doesn't always have to be competitions or giveaway collaborations which I think a lot of people their minds go to and we've got some great examples that have been super clever and creative with um, brand collaborations to share in a moment but um, look at things like gift with purchase or bundled products or a series of like a content series you know would you create a podcast in collaboration with somebody or a limited series uh, limited episode podcast or like a mini online training in collaboration with another brand or um, a limited edition product or like I think I've already said this already but gift with purchase if you're launching something maybe the first 50 orders could get a gift with purchase in collaboration with another brand who also want to get in front of your audience so that can drive more sales and more reach as well, because it's not just you talking about um, your amazing product or service. You've also got a buddy also shouting from the rooftops about how amazing you are as well.
0: Yes, such a great tip. I don't think I've ever run a marketing campaign in the last three years of Campaign Delmar that hasn't included a collaboration component. There you go, Because, you know, my love for collaborations and Colabasaurus runs very deep. (laughs) Amazing. Um, I'm trying to think my, like my number three
1: tip, which will be my last probably in terms of campaigns would be, um, to like, it's just that it makes it easier, like sit down and batch it because content It's actually a thousand times harder if you're like, I've got to do a post here and I've got to do a reel here and I've got to do an EDM and they're all not connected in terms of messaging. You have one overall message, one overall goal. You can sit down and batch that into different content types but it actually saves you so much headspace and time because you know what the message is. You know what the pain points are. You know what the solution is. You know what the action you want people to take is. And yeah, it just makes it so much easier. I mean, it was like that with our app launch. We tweeted our app launch as a campaign and we ran an event, we did a video, we did PR, we did um, organic and paid, we integrated it on our website We did all kinds of different things, but it made it so much easier. I mean, that was a launch campaign and we collaborated around that as well. Of course, we did brand collaborations around the event and the launch. And it was just, we had enough time to amplify it, but it was so much easier to sit down and map out the content rollout plan for that because I had all of those ducks in a row in terms of what I was talking about.
0: Yeah, because of the big idea, you know, uh, and everything then is just a matter of rolling it out into different formats and different channels, but the big idea informs the campaign. So I absolutely love that as opposed to this scattergun approach of what do I post and what do I write? That's right, it's so cohesive and so connected. And then I guess what I love the most about campaigns is that you can then reuse them. Yeah. So I, the Guru's campaign that I recently ran, that was not the first time I'm going to run. That's not going to be the last time I run that campaign. That's coming back. And it will be, you know, so many of those elements and all of those posts and all of those emails and the landing page are all going to be reused and repurposed again. And then I can build on it and do Guru's too. So, um all of that investment in time and planning is not lost. And you see brands reusing their campaigns all the time.
1: Absolutely. And so you should. I mean, if you've invested time and money into this hard hitting, amazing big idea and campaign you should be able to repurpose that again. And also remembering that a lot of content only hits a small percentage of your community anyway, especially when it comes to organic content. So posting about something once or twice or three times and then that's the end of it is a bit of a shame really. It's wasted.
0: It is so wasted because, yeah, um, the rule of seven where it was that, you know, audiences needed to see something a minimum of seven times before they've ta- they take action has now become the rule of 30.
1: Yes, I was going to say it was 22 in 2018. I remember hearing that <laughs> spike because it's actually that uh concept is from the 1950s in the film Hollywood film industry before social media, before we've been mm. bombarded with a million and one messages in super saturated ways. So yeah, I'm not surprised it's at 30 now. Exactly. <laughs> That's why you need like 12 weeks you need 12 weeks to get in front of someone 30 times if you're getting in front of someone 30 times in one week they'll just hate you correct
0: (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's right okay so let's chat about some of our favorite recent collaboration campaigns so um you start us off and then i'll share one of mine and then you'll share one of yours Well one of
1: my all-time favorites and this was a couple of years ago so it's not super super recent but it's just a classic and it involves pasta it's pasta rumo and Fendi teamed up and they basically Fendi's fashion show invitation was a box of pasta that was beautifully designed and just looked like such a nostalgic classic fun thing to do I just thought that was so clever and I'm desperate to mimic that collab mm-hmm. <laughs> and do something where we invite people to a Collabasaurus event with a co-branded pasta box. I've just got to make it happen. Um, so that's that's probably my number one all-time favourite brand collab. What about you?
0: What, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just want to say how much I love that one because um, of, like, taking you to Italy and, like, bringing in that personality of the brand and setting that, you know, reminiscent nostalgic experience of eating yep. pasta in Italy so love it
1: and it's also a bit unexpected if if someone had said to me who should Fendi collaborate with I'm not going to mm. say oh pasta rumour like it's now that I've seen it in in real life it's like that's brilliant and it does make so much sense but a lot of my favourite collaborations aren't necessarily the first thing you'd think of. Like Airbnb and Barbie's Malibu Dreamhouse collaboration. That was insane and so clever and beautifully executed. But if you had asked me before I saw that campaign, who should Airbnb collaborate with, I wouldn't have said, oh, Barbie, you know?
0: Do you know that they've done a Winnie the Pooh house as well now? Oh, have they? It, yeah, right. in the same vein as the Barbie, you know, you can go there with your kids and experience the whole um, Winnie the Pooh experience, I guess. So, so Love it. I You know, I'm a big fan of the collaborations that are really creative that, that, you know, make people sit up and take notice and go, I can't believe Fendi is collaborating with a pasta brand. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, so clever. And it's like a collaboration can be in support of your bigger campaign. Like you said, you haven't done a launch without a collaboration involved as part of helping promote a campaign launch. But it can also be its own campaign. Mm -hmm. You know, you could do something really big like the Airbnb and Barbie one and that in itself was an entire campaign and fueled content
0: for easy Yeah, that's the big idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually the... um, the, the collaboration is the big idea in my um, pick, which is Kip & Co., which is a um, home... Um Soft furnishings company. So they make linen and pillowcases, and they collaborated with the Barbara Women's Center, which is uh, a group of Indigenous artists. And they used this incredible Indigenous artwork um, for their collection. And that was. I guess, the big campaign. And I just absolutely loved it because the designs are stunning. And the content was was
1: stunning. I saw the Mm. ads for that and whoever shot that campaign just did such a wonderful job. It looked amazing, so eye-catching.
0: Correct. And what I really loved about it was that it generated so much earned media um, because of the, um, you know, relationship with Um, our Indigenous First Peoples and um, it was really their story and showcasing them and celebrating them. And um, uh, I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was, you know, it hit so many great, um, you know, markers of a really successful campaign.
1: Mm. And so many successful collaborations do have that storytelling element to it, I think, as well. I mean, Pastor Rumo and Fenty, it was like that nostalgic family-owned type um, story was sort of woven into that campaign which I really love that's that's awesome
0: and then you're supporting you know not just an Australian brand but you know um, a, a whole you know part of our community that needs to be supported
1: totally yeah and I mean yeah I mean the storytelling element is so massive and charities can definitely play a part as well in terms of brand collaborations um, I've seen plenty of really powerful collaborations that have a social awareness element to it i mean thank you did a beautiful one with sarah elk which was another artist collaboration as artist collaborations are totally booming at the moment Mm. Um, and they did a hand wash with the limited edition um uh like packaging which was just so clever easily done raised so much awareness and um yeah it was it was great
0: i think customers today are demanding that from the brands that they choose to support which is that like okay I love your products, they're great, but do they make the world better? Do they make our country stronger? Do they support, you know, minority groups and underprivileged communities? We're we're seeking that. And that's why, you know, Who Gives a Crap is one of my favourite brands in the whole world um, because it just has that whole, you know, social responsibility built into the product. It's not, you know, tucked on and, you know, it's... um, you know shoehorned Mm. it is their purpose and Mm. they live that purpose and as a result we're so much more in love with that brand plus their marketing is fire
1: i know so good and they've done some really good like limited edition um artist collabs and stuff as well I'm just trying to think I can't remember the name but um oh there were just there's quite a few that they've done that have been really great and if you're sitting you know <laughs> on the toot with a who gives a crap <laughs> stack of toilet paper it is it's something to read and it's like it's it's fun and unwrapping it has all kinds of like yeah like an un- unboxing experience almost for the who gives a crap stuff
0: yeah, I loved the Christmas collection last year, which was the A to Z collection, and they collaborated with an artist yeah. to do the design, but then each roll of toilet paper had different letters on it, and so you could make words. <laughs> and,
1: uh, That's so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, there was some great user-generated content that came out of that, of users having a lot of fun. And then there was a game that they suggested for families to, like, you know, do... <laughs> um scrabble with the toilet paper it was just it was straight up and down brilliance
1: so good I love it and UGC oh my god that's like a whole other conversation if you can get people to share what you're doing golden you've nailed a campaign
0: correct all right what else
1: what else? Well, my the second one on my list is um, Nimble Activewear and Koala Mattresses. So these guys teamed up on a bit of a content series, but at the heart of it all was um, a limited edition set of sleepwear or lounge wear um, that was called Move to Snooze, um, Move to Snooze Sweats. So basically, you could buy the Move to Snooze Sweats from Nimble Activewear. And every set you would go into the drawer to win a koala mattress. But what they did as part of this campaign was it was all around rolling out content to promote a better night's sleep. So there were all of these activities Nimble Activewear released, an eight-minute video with tips as to how you can um, improve your sleep. There was an EDM campaign that went out with a bunch of tips and tricks and strategies and it all tied back to that limited edition sweat set. Um, But there was a competition as part of it. It was leveraged. It's like a well-leveraged campaign with lots of moving parts and elements to it.
0: Oh, you know how I feel about fully integrated campaigns, Jess? Yes. Yeah. They really just (laughs) light my fire. Okay. And my um, other favorite um, is Taker Waititi, who is an epic director. He collaborated with the Royal Roll Dahl Story Company to create a um, YouTube collaboration actually during COVID. So, and this one really spoke to me as a mum because I was trying to work with kids at home. And so, anyone that was going to provide some entertainment for my children was a winner in my book. But it spoke to me
1: because the Hemsworths were involved. Correct. You don't have to be a so, mum to like vibe with this collab 100%. Correct.
0: <laughs> yes. It, um, and so essentially what it was is that um Takey um Takeo, sorry, um invited some of his celebrity friends including the Hemsworth to read James and the Giant Peach. Um which is such a great book. And um so this was a um a collaboration that went over several days on YouTube and just sensational content um that was created um and all to benefit um actually a not-for-profit so just ticked so many boxes and i think what i love about this is just the timing of it you know yeah. um Marketing campaigns for big corporations get planned years in advance. You know, at L'Oreal, we were planning the Maybelline campaigns 18 months before we launched. But COVID obviously threw a very big spanner in those works. And so any big brands that could mobilize as quickly as as this one did and pull it off, um, I really tip my hat to that.
1: Totally. And Binge and The Iconic did that too. They moved fast and released their inactive wear campaign, which was all around people sitting at home what binge watching like Netflix. And Binge was trying to get in there as a competitor to Netflix. Um, and that was just so clever. But, yeah, it's like being timely and relevant and um, piggybacking off current news and pop culture, that can be really, really effective too,
0: 100%. Absolutely. Well, it has been such a pleasure, Jess. I could have spoken to you for hours, but um, we've already clocked 47 minutes. I don't know how that happened. It was just like blink and it's done. Um, I urge everyone to go and check out Collabosaurus. It is such an epic platform and um, check out Collabosaurus on Instagram. Um, anything else that you'd like to share, Jess?
1: No, come find me.
0: Um, and thank you
1: so, so much for having me on the podcast. Congratulations on Got Marketing. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I can't wait to listen to the other episodes.
0: Thank you. All right.
1: Bye. (laughs) Bye.
0: Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not press that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? You can also connect with me, Mia Fileman, on Instagram or LinkedIn. And feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.